This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It is Friday, January 20th. Can you believe it? We're about a month and a week away from the mayoral election. It's unbelievable. It'll be February 28th. Early voting begins on January 26th. And you know what else happens on the 26th? We, WCPT, are having our own mayoral forum. All of the candidates will be there. We want to know what you want them to speak to. Did you see the debate last night on ABC7? I want to get your feedback on that. What did you think about the debate? What did you think about those who were debating? What do you think about the issues that were raised? Uh, who made the greatest impression upon you? It was in the debates, after all, four years ago, that attorney Lori Lightfoot, former federal prosecutor Lori Lightfoot, really cut through. She really broke on through. One had that kind of debate last night. I want to know what you think. 773-763-9278. 773-763-WCPT. I'm sending, seeing you, Joe Ziegler, sending you much love today. Robert Bacon and Bill Banks and Andre, my God brother here, and Monique. Elena, Monique, I want you to reach out to me so because I want to know what happened to you and this ticket. We want to make things right. Everybody's going to be giving tickets away that if you call in, uh, you could win tickets to attend the mayoral forum that WCPT is having on Thursday, January 26th. You don't want to miss it. You're going to get lunch there. You'll see all the candidates there. And who else is going to stop by? A lot of folks. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, is my home station, as is AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Sending everybody much love today. I want to talk about these mayoral debates. Did you see the debates last night? Did anyone resonate with you? Did any topic resonate with you? What is the top issue, or what are the top issues that you believe are concerning Chicagoans? Is it safety, crime? jobs, economic opportunity, 200 to 300,000 black people have been moved out of Chicago. It's just getting to be too expensive. And what about the immigrants who are being brought to Chicago, who are being bust into Chicago? Of course, we welcome everyone, but then there is uh, the question about what you're going to do about people who are struggling, who are already here. So we got a lot to talk about. So let's get right to it on the Santita Jackson Show in Chicago. We're going to have a high of 30 Four degrees today. There will be some snow flurries. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 28 degrees, partly cloudy. The playoffs this weekend, Jaguars versus Kansas City, the Giants versus the Eagles, the Cowboys versus the 49ers, and maybe the Bills will continue to be inspired by DeMar Hamlin showing up at their camp. Um, they'll be playing the Bengals, repeating that game where he had that catastrophic, uh, well, where we saw him fall out and essentially his heart stopped. Unbelievable. You can't make it up. And he's still struggling, according to press reports, with some health issues. He still needs oxygen, still needs assistance breathing, but he's moving around. So we still want to know what happened to him, this healthy 24-year-old. And how will he be compensated financially? Hmm. In the NBA, the Timberwolves 128, the Raptors 126, the Bulls 126, the Pistons 108, and in the NHL, Chicago 4, the Flyers 1, and the Hurricanes 5, 
and the wild too. Happy Lunar New Year to all of our Asian brothers and sisters in China, in Vietnam, in South Korea, throughout the Asian part of our globe. This is the year of the rabbit, a year that is supposed to yield hope and good fortune. Much love, much, much, much love to our Asian brothers and sisters as they celebrate their Lunar New Year. Everybody is talking about the weather, okay? A large swath of the northeastern United States is gearing up for several days of heavy snow, freezing rain, or a mix of both. It, create, it could create treacherous road and travel conditions. About 7 million people are in the storm's path. President Joe Biden on Thursday made his first public remarks since batches of classified documents from his time as vice president were found at his private Washington, D.C. office and Wilmington, Delaware home. He said, and I quote, I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. Close quote. President Biden said about not revealing earlier that the documents had been discovered. Special counsel is investigating how the president and his team handled the Obama-era classified documents that were recently found. The new 988 National Mental Health Crisis Line has seen a significant rise in call volume since its transition six months ago from the former 1-800-273-TALK. If you are having suicidal thoughts or if you are just in emotional trouble, if you need someone to talk to everybody, please call 988. That is the new number. More than 2 million calls, texts and chats to 988 have been routed to a response center, according to a CNN analysis, if you need help, everybody. Mental help. Call 988. 988. And we've got Pastor Tisha Dixon-Williams. Oh, this anointed woman of God, you've got to get her book. I see you, sis. So many of us feel unseen. But you won't, after you read this book, you will see yourself all in the Bible and say, you know what, if she can do it, hmm, I can too. I love it, I love it, I love it. Pastor, how are you this morning? I'm great this morning. How are you? Oh, I always can't wait to hear what, you have such an interesting Oh, my goodness, enlightening take on the Bible. It's just your blessing, your gift. And everybody waits. Ready, everybody, we're all waiting. So <laughs> give us some good news. <laughs> Today, the good news, I want to continue in using Ruth as an example. There's a phrase that says, I understood the assignment. And that's what I want to talk about today. Do you understand your assignment? When that particular phrase is ascribed to someone, it means someone who goes above and beyond, whether it's what they say, how they dress, or how they show up in the world. When you give 110% and go above and beyond what you were called to do or asked to do, someone will then declare you understood the assignment. And so today, we look at Ruth as someone who understood very specifically her assignment. If you look through, especially verse 2, um, chapter 2, you'll see she set out, she seized the opportunity, she stayed steady, she was set apart, she got a seat at the table, she secured the bag, and she stuck close. She understood her assignment. And my question today is, what's yours? It should be every person's plea to find out exactly what God has specifically put them on earth to do. And after this real realization, ready yourself as Ruth did and just do it. It's important to stress an assignment is specific, it's unique, and it applies to every person. Your assignment is simply what God wants you to do 
age, gender, and socioeconomic status are not restrictive reasons. Everyone has a job to do. Everyone has an assignment. And there are no shortage of people in the Bible, stories where biblical identities receive instructions from God relating to their assignment. I've always observed that God will apply God's favor on a person's life after they wholeheartedly commit to their assignment. So maybe you're wondering why doors are not opening for you. Maybe you're wondering why you're not feeling feeling fulfilled in life. Maybe you have yet to commit to your assignment. And this is the reason, because of favor. Favor goes with the assignment. Favor does not go with the individual. It goes with the assignment. And do you know what we call that? We call that alignment. Can I give you an example for Noah? There was a flood coming, so he was assigned to build an ark. For Joseph, there was a famine coming, so he was assigned to get God's people into Egypt. For Moses, there was an emancipation coming, so he was assigned to get to the promised land. For Esther, there was a genocide coming, so she was assigned to make a supplication to the king. What's your assignment? There is an assignment for you, and you need to know what it is. For Ruth, there was a great king named David coming who would bring about the son of the Savior of the world. So she was assigned to move to Bethlehem. What's your assignment today? And I can hear somebody asking, Pastor, I understand the assignment, but how can I really understand an assignment when I don't know my assignment? Well, let me help you. Your assignment is in alignment with your identity. Your assignment is in alignment with your community, and your assignment is in alignment with your legacy. Your assignment is in alignment with your identity. Your assignment is in alignment with your community, and your assignment is in alignment with your legacy. So remember that as you're trying to figure out what is my assignment? What on earth have I been put here to do? And I want you to know that wherever you find yourself in your assignment, God is there. I remember a story about a map that's on display in the British Museum. And when the topographer made this map, he put little notes in it to warn people about where the dangers are. So he said, here be giants, and over here to the west be scorpions, down here in the south be dragons. But eventually the map came into the possession of Sir John Franklin, a British explorer in the early 1800s. And you know what he did? He scratched out all of the fearful inscriptions, and then he wrote these words, here is God. So I want somebody to know today that whether you find yourself like Ruth in the messiness of Moab or in the blessed state of Bethlehem, here is God. Understand your assignment and execute it. And that's the good news. That is the good news. The good news is that we are all here for a reason. Ask God. What on earth am I here for? What, Bishop am I Henry, what on earth am I here for? Bishop Henry Wilson Williamson gave me a book. He said, you know, I can see something. I can see something in you, young lady, and I want to give you this. It was a booklet, and it made me buy it, prompted me to buy the book. And I said, you know, you weren't made by your friends. You weren't made by the world. You were constructed by God. If you got a computer, you would look at the instruction manual. Huh? That's why right. you ask God, because God made you <laughs> wonderfully and perfectly made. Only you would help me to step back and take that book today. Everybody, you've got to get the book. I see you, sis. You're going to see yourself so clearly, so clearly, okay. so much more clearly. 
and take this, everybody. This is on the podcast on the Santita Jackson Show, WCPT at 20.com forward slash Santita, so that you can hear this. going to gather all of these and, and really do something with them because a lot of people really look forward to hearing from these pastors every single day, and especially you, Pastor Tisha Dixon Williams, sending you so much love today. Right back to you. Have a wonderful day, everyone, and a wonderful weekend. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, oh. How can we worship with you on Sunday? Yeah, you can worship with us via YouTube at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, First Baptist Church of Bridgehampton. We'd love to have you guys join us. That's right. Well, don't, don't leave here without saying that. Come on. What? Hang <laughs> on. <laughs> Y'all knock me out. I love it. Pastor Tisha Dixon-Williams, everybody, sending you much love. Thank you for blessing us this morning. Of course, we have got infection preventionist, registered nurse, uh, the head of the largest organization of epidemiologists and infection preventionists in the world. And we're so excited that she takes the time to be with us in between planes and everything else, trains, planes, boats, and automobiles. Uh, you know what? You were talking about hygiene poverty, and that's a phrase that a lot of us with which we're not familiar, but I want you to explain what it is. Just give us a definition, and I want to ask you about the impact of not being able to bathe, regu- or not being able to bathe, not being able to bathe regularly, not being able to brush your teeth, um, just Talk to talk to me about talk to us about hygiene poverty. Okay. So hygiene poverty is the inability to be able to have access to or being able to afford hygiene items on a regular basis. And so what that means is it's for individuals that may live, um, let's say work, and they are already at the brink of not being able to afford, let's say, somewhere to live, some um, transportation. It means that deodorant, soap, disinfecting products may not necessarily be of the utmost priority. If that is the case of where it's not of the utmost priority, it then leads to an environment that can become contaminated with pathogens, viruses, or fungus. And then it means, and not, it becomes contaminated with those things because the perfect opportunity or the perfect storm is created for it to grow. Think about a refrigerator, for example, that someone may not have disinfectants or cleaning products to clean, and there's mold, and there's, you know, food that tends to go bad. Well, food is living, and so it tends to create germs, and those germs then, if someone consumes it, if we ingest it, if we, if we breathe it, like there's so many things that we can do to come in contact with those germs, and naturally it would make us sick. Same thing if, for example, imagine a a dog, and I'm thinking of a singer adult, I'm thinking of a baby that, let's say, has to have um, an adult brief or a diaper, you know, for a child that wears those items for extended periods of time and end up with a urinary tract infection. It's still an infection. 
um, someone that wouldn't be able to bathe, that means that their pores might build up on their skin and that can cause an abscess or a boil, which then can become infected. So the problem that we're running into with this whole situation of people not being able to afford things is how do we really tell someone to practice infection prevention and control and they don't even have the basic necessities of life to be able to keep themselves safe? They don't have the basic necessities of life to even be able to keep themselves safe from infections. So when we think about that, how does that translate in COVID? That's someone not being able to have masks or adequate masks or adequately protective masks to be able to keep themselves safe. That means someone not having soap and water when someone says, wash your hands. It means that if someone, speaking of a healthcare worker, let's say they're working around germs all the time or you have environmental services that's trying to keep the environment clean. The employer might be very pressed about them keeping the environment clean, but yet does not care about that employee and the ability for them to be able to wash their uniforms daily for any other germs that they picked up trying to keep the space clean. So those would be a couple of examples that I can give. Oh, Dr. Knighton? I'm here. I'm done talking. Oh, okay. okay. I've got two minutes, and I want, I want you to have them. I know I got it, but I was looking for, like, you to respond or, you know, just to oh, ask. But no, no. That's the you know, explanation. This is, well, you know, this is cutting into your response time, but that having been said, I, you know, we've always heard about the, the child in school who might smell, or we might have uh, a colleague or a friend who carries an odor. A lot of people are unhoused. They're homeless. A lot of people are not living in the most stable of circumstances. And something as something that many of us take for granted, being able to bathe, being able to brush our teeth, um, having a sanitary product, that is something that many people around the world to which they do not have access, and none more than here in the United States. And so I think that that needs to be part of our health policy. As you're talking about, in you know, preventing infection, I mean, just very quickly, not being able to bathe, what does that do? Right. That's what I just mentioned, that not being able to bathe. It can cause somebody's pores to build up. Um, it causes germs on the skin. Our skin is our protective barrier, so if it's clogged, and it doesn't have the right normal flora, meaning like the right pH level, then it's very hard for our skin to be our protective layer to protect us against germs. So that's why being groomed is so important because our body does protect us when it's in its best state. The other thing is, too, a second ago, you mentioned policy, and one of the things that people don't think about is the fact that food may not be taxed, but these items, which are also essential to living, are not taxed. I mean, are taxed, meaning people have to pay tax just to be able to get soap. There's also individuals that may not have a washing machine or have access to stuff to be able to clean. 
people don't have working refrigerators, so they might be storing their food improperly, which then could lead to some sort of, let's say, bacterial contamination. We all know that foodborne illnesses is a real thing. So if you don't have the proper materials to be able to store food, be able to cook food, be able to launder laundry, the sanitation conditions that would exist for someone would be subpar. So when we think about health disparities in the United States or the fact that, yes, there are certain populations that are more prone to being sicker or dying than others, one of the things that people don't take into account is going into someone's home and you want to provide the best care to them, but their environment is not set up to provide the best care. And we don't have policies or services to support that. Hmm. And remember, everybody, your skin, that's the largest organ of your body. We've got to think about that. And thank you, Nicole. You were working on a project, and we did a show on this on period poverty. We're providing sanitary products uh, for, for young women and for, and for girls and for women. It's just, these are the things that we need to think about when you're talking about being healthy and well. Sending you much love today, everybody. Dr. Shanina Knighton's handle is at Hey, Dr. Nina, H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A. Coming up, let's talk about this debate. Did you see it last night? Who you got in this Chicago mayoral race? Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. Did you see the debate last night? Have you seen any of the debates? Is there any candidate who stands out for you? Indeed, four years ago, Lori Lightfoot was a virtual unknown. And um, then former uh, federal prosecutor Lori Lightfoot, brilliant lawyer, uh, she broke on through. She just really broke on through in the debates. Has that happened here? Has anyone surprised you? Are, do you agree with anyone's plan? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278-773-763-WCPT. And I hope that you will stay tuned because we have two tickets to give away. That's right, two tickets to give away to the WCPT mayoral debate. Everybody's going to be there. All of the candidates are going to be there. Joan Esposito, Patty Vasquez, and Santita Jackson, who truly will be moderating this debate. And it's going to be very exciting. We're going to have lunch early at 11, and then we get things going at 12 o'clock. It's going to be fantastic. And, of course, we want you to attend. So keep listening. going to be giving tickets away in the next hour. But before we get to that, let me speak to Shapiro Wells. It's, oh, coming up on the Super Bowl, we've got the playoffs this weekend. Super Bowl is coming. Everyone's waiting for Rihanna. But, you know, we like having some good food <laughs> during our Super Bowl parties. I know Celebrations by us can do it. Yes, Santita, and Celebrations by Us is your one-stop party connection. And right now we are taking your orders for your Super Bowl as well as also Valentine's Day. So give us a call at 708-526-4546. 
708-526-4546. We can handle your sliders, your wings, as well as also your uh, sandwiches, as well as your uh, your sweets, your caramel cake, your red velvet cake, your banana pudding, and your custom cookies. So give us a call at 708-526-4546. 708-526-4546. We look forward to serving you. Thank you so much, Santita. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody call me. What do you think about the what did you think about the debate last night? 773-763-9278. Chicago, Illinois. Mm, the third most populous city behind New York and Los Angeles in the country. The third most populous city. About 2.67 million people live here. About two to three hundred thousand African Americans have moved out over the past couple of decades. Why? It's just it's just too expensive. And then when you knock down uh, the Robert Taylor home, that's one hundred thousand people. I mean, we are being farmed out of here, and to one end, it's blasting a hole in black political power. Uh, but still, the city is pretty much it's a very American place. It's about a third, a third, a third, about a third white, a third Hispanic, a third black, just roughly more or less, and so. We've got some real issues. People are worried about their safety. They're worried about crime. They're concerned about education. Uh, they're concerned about economic opportunity for the little guy. You know, the pandemic wiped a lot of small businesses out. So we've got to talk about that today because that's what we were hearing about uh, last night. And, you know, and I want to know what you thought about. Mayor Lightfoot, Brandon Johnson, Paul Vallis, Chewy Garcia, Jamal Green. I mean, it was Rod Sawyer. It was Sophia King. It was an embarrassment of riches. You had a lot of great people. Everybody, and I know just about everybody on that stage should fully disclose, and they're all great, great people. Even though I have a preference, I won't reveal that here, because I will be fair. You know, I think that that is my duty. Uh, that, that I have to you, and I will fulfill it. So let us get on with this, everybody. Hope that you'll join us January 26th at our debate. You know we're going to ask the right questions. We've got Reverend Jeanette Wilson Esquire from Rainbow Push and Dwight McKee, brilliant social scientist, and Kevin Lampy. Let me let you start things off. Kevin Lampy and his wife, Kitty Kurtz, who is my sister friend, and I love you, Kevin, because, of course, she's been on the show. She's been with me since I was on another station. And yeah. no one's been more encouraging and more loving than my beloved Kurtz. And, um, and you all are two of the top political operatives in the country, quite frankly. You do local, state, federal, national races. That's what you do. What do you see with this race? You know, this race is... First off, it's going to go to a runoff. There's just too many people. And so it's always a challenge when you're looking at races like this. You know, sometimes you're running for second place, um, not just first place. And you got to keep that in mind. But it is, um, it is, it is the challenge. It, people are not happy with, with Mayor Lightfoot. That's the simplest thing. I, I hear it constantly, both within the political circles and even from regular people. They're just, they're not happy with what she's done, but they're not sure, well, then who can do the job and who can actually do the job. And I had a number of people come to me who wanted to run for mayor. And the first question I asked is, why do you want to do this job or could you do this job? You know, the 24 hour, seven day a week job that it takes to be mayor of the city. And it's been, it's been frustrating to see how much 
Mayor Lightfoot has, has kind of uh, uh, peddled away her political capital. She came into this office, you know, with 78 points of political capital, and your unfavorable ratings are exactly the opposite now. Well, do you, didn't she walk into a mess? I mean, you just said, you know, yeah. when people come to you, they, they, you ask them, why do you want this job? And several people, you know, to disclose, they've asked my brother Jonathan to run. He's in Congress now. And, and a, a, a one person said, are you kidding? There is no money here. And this was like six, seven years ago. Ten years ago, he said, there is no, there's no money here. It's thankless. And until Chicago gets right fiscally, until, you know, there's this reset that needs to occur. Anybody who walks through this is going to walk into a very, very difficult situation. I mean, because I think that, you know, how many of us would have been able to get through the pandemic? Everybody caught hell dealing with the pandemic. Kevin? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the mayor walked into, like, you know, first off, she walked into the Trump era um, and all the bad baggage that was going on with there from the uh, the former president or, or the future convict. And then uh, what then then the pandemic hits. And yes, it was a difficult, difficult time. And she did. She did the best she could in a, in a difficult situation. But I think there has been. And I will, I will say, I've, I've, I've been a critic. Her leadership style has clashed with a lot of people, mm-hmm. clashed with her own staff, clashed with people in city council. And, you know, if she came in thinking, I can be like Chicago mayors and tell the council what to do, like they did in the past, that just wasn't going to happen with the class of aldermen that she came in with. That class of aldermen, they were, they were saying, okay, let's make, this, let's make this equitable. Let's spread this out over 50 wards. Let's look at this, and then we went into a redistricting battle. And the mayor had a had a, had a heck of a time um, trying to be able to communicate her message and be able to be an effective leader while battling the council and not really understanding the dynamics of it. It is always a challenge for someone who has not held elected office to walk into an office as big as the mayor of Chicago is. It is it is hard because you know you need to be the ultimate politician and you've got to get along with people. Otherwise, you will not make it. Uh, Reverend Jeanette Wilson, your thoughts about the debate and just about the, this campaign all overall? Reverend Wilson, are you there? Well, let me shift this over to you, yes, Dwight yes, McKee. I'm here. I'm here. Okay, I'm here. okay. okay. No. Yeah. You know, I have to move on. It's live radio. But go on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go on. Mayor Lightfoot, uh, obviously, is the moving target because she's a city mayor. And as uh, Kevin said, she inherited a, a series of problems. I think most people don't like her style, but every mayor that we've had, Uh, Prior to her, there was this boss syndrome from Mayor Daley, Mayor Daley, and even um, the previous mayor. So she she's a woman, and women are judged by a different standard. Women are expected to be more motherly, more kind and kinder and gentler, and that's not her style, unfortunately. However, I think what we learned last night: a lot of people have a lot of ideas about what might work. She's the only one that's sitting in that office that could say, this is what I've done to make it work. And so I think that uh, she didn't win the debate, but at least she was able to articulate in sound bites some things that she's been able to do. I didn't like the format of the debate because you didn't get to hear enough from any one of the candidates 
because they had 45 seconds, 45 seconds, and then 30 seconds for a rebuttal. So it was too short to really get into any particular uh, area that they were trying to cover. You know, everybody covered the obvious topics. I didn't feel that any one of them uh, was like groundbreaking information. Uh, I felt like, oh, this one here, it will be a great administrator because the mayor is the chief administrator for the city of Chicago. The one thing I think they all agreed, there had to be a partnership and between the state and the feds in terms of funding uh, for the uh, to address some of the problems in the city of Chicago. I do think that um, a couple of the candidates didn't seem to know much about what the mayor was supposed to do at all. And they were just saying stuff that had no particular value. Uh, crime seemed to be the prevailing issue uh, throughout the debate. Everything uh, came back came back around to crime, and then uh, there was a big focus on students. What do you do about the children, the mental health crisis, but also how do you reduce crime among young people in terms of what do you do to them after school and on weekends? And so I think that was a good focus for all of the candidates. I didn't see any groundbreaking solutions. Paul Go- Paul Vallis talked about what he did while he was uh head of the Chicago Public Schools and, you know, his Lighthouse program and some of those things. Um, None of them really discussed, and I guess it wasn't one of the topics, economic development and reinvestment in these uh, distressed communities, how they could really turn these blighted uh, poverty areas around. But I thought it was a civil uh, discussion among them. And it was seemed to be uh, quite professionally handled, so I, I, I was I was encouraged by this format. Yeah, I was. I mean, I thought, I thought that um, people did well, and they were very civil. But you know, these are when you get into the into these spaces, people know each other, and unless something is um, seriously amiss, people you just the unkindness. It just there's no place there. Dwight McKee, your thoughts. You saw the debate last night. What were your impressions, and what have been your impressions of this recent call? Well, first, I don't think that Trump was Lori's problem. I think that Rom was her problem. He actually gutted the economy and, and redistributed the wealth in such a way. As he left her in a dire street, it was very hard for her now to try to bring balance the economy has been so severely imbalanced. I also think that with a caustic style that it does run contrary, not to just her being a woman, I don't think that's the issue, as much as it is that she seems to be defensive on every issue that people disagree with her on. And I think that works against her. People I was most impressed with, believe it or not, I thought that uh, the young guy, Jamal, I thought he was very, very bright and had a, for his age, had an unusual understanding of social policy. I thought Sophia King uh, was much more uh, gracious than uh, I had expected her to be. He had a real good grasp of the issues. But who I was also impressed with was Willie Wilson, who, whose simplicity 
maybe the issues. I mean, maybe the answer. When they talked about the Bears and what to do about the Bears, Willie said, get another team. That makes perfect sense to me. And, and it's just fundamental understanding of how things work. You can understand why he was able to make so much money uh, in an economy that you really, most people had to go to school to uh, to master. Is that him coming out of just a basic, simple, folksy kind of uh, environment gives him a real fundamental understanding of how things work and, you know, how to... How, I think that he can be a real problem solver. So it is. I think overall, I don't think anybody dominated the debate. Uh, anybody was so extraordinary to be an exception. But I think everybody did reasonably well, and I could pretty much live with it. Everybody up there, minus one or two people that were unnamed. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought Brandon did extremely well. I thought Chewy Garcia did well. I thought Rod Sawyer did well. I mean, it just, it was just, you know, you saw, you had some really, really bright people running for office. Let me go to Otis Thomas. You called in. What's on your mind? You saw the debate last night? Uh, I just saw it this morning. Okay. Well, you know, last night, this morning, morning you know. <laughs> it's all right. You saw it. What What yeah. were your impressions? I mean, did what did, did you uh, walk away feeling honestly, good about anyone or no? I just feel no. Um, I was just dis- I'm disappointed because um, the main issues they kept talking about in the beginning was the police, police, we pulled more police. Um, my thing is when they talk about crime and violence in Chicago, the poster child of that are black people. And um, I never heard no one talk about um, uh, economics in the black community, like other neighborhoods, like on Western and Devon, where you got the Indian community, mm-hmm. how those people are together, and, and, um, and the Hispanic community, how they built their communities and which they hired their own people in the neighborhood. And um, even in uh, Italy, those other races of people, Chinatown, Asian, Korean town, up north, those people there... They don't have issues with uh, crime like black people do. And the reason why that, because they got the uh, economic uh, 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 funding from the city of Chicago and also grants that help build their communities. Not only that, they had the right kind of people in place to say, this is what we want and we want nothing else. Just like the Hispanics are doing right now, saying that they want jobs and they're demanding the jobs and the jobs that they like, they're like, the, like the state right now, they're funding these immigrants. And giving them money, and giving them jobs and housing and stuff, and I think that black, all black people in Chicago, I think that we all should get together and tell them we don't want to hear about what you're going to do for minorities. We want to hear what you're going to do about us and improving our economics. Because if we own our own communities, that lowers the crime in the neighborhood because you're hiring people in the communities that know everybody in the neighborhood. They're going to have opportunity to work in the neighborhood. Um, working at, at, at the same kind of businesses that other, other, uh, uh, races have. It's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. Logan Lightfoot, the main thing that was disappointing me about Logan Lightfoot and her commercial, I'm, we're going to, I'm going to continue to go ahead of Washington. And why would you say that now, Lori, after four years, going to four years, you haven't done it. You haven't done it then. Garcia, he's another example of, uh, uh, um, 
he wants black people to trust him, but yet that man hasn't done nothing to give us a program or the blueprint on how to commit, how to how to upgrade our black communities like the Hispanics did, would wind up being the second highest uh, economic community in the city of Chicago other than the Gold Coast. We're not saying we want to be up there with them. We just want to say that we want to be, we want to have, we want to own our own stuff. Cause once you do that, the people in the neighborhood know each other. They're not going to allow other black people to uh, commit such crimes as in, uh, um, and uh, trying to uh, rob and, 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 and steal from the stores because that and so a, uh, that put pride in the black people when they realize that they own their own business. And this is what we've been saying since the sixties. We used to say we had a solution. Now we don't hear that no more. All we got a bunch of black, a bunch of people running for mayor, being nothing but just puppets for the Chicago machine, and trying to beg and get crumbs from they from they masters that run the city. The dead, the, the Chicago machine is still alive today. I'm done. Well, I hear you. The establishment is real, but I'd be very careful about painting with such a broad brush. Um, because I think that on that stage, you have some people who are very much a part of, who are part of the demo. No, just one moment. One moment. We can engage. We don't have to be confrontational. You know, I think that you have people who are, um, who are in the system, one or two who are kind of sort of out. But once you become there, you get in the system because that's just how the system works. At the end of the day, even when you get a black person in office, and I think we should have learned that from the Obama years, that is when you've got to advocate. One of the things that we should have learned from the Obama years is that we stopped advocating. What we started doing was advocating for one person, and we forgot about all the rest of us. And we have paid a heck of a price for that. Saving one person and sacrificing. No, I got I to got, I go move to Mama D, but you, you make it real quick. Breaking my own rule. But I'm just saying, saving one person, making history for one person, and sacrificing a whole community, I hope we never do that again. Very quickly, Otis. Okay. Anybody that's listening right now, if you agree with me, call in and let her know that you agree with me or what I said. I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not talking about uh, one person sacrificing one person. I'm just talking about as black people, us, we tell them, what you going to do for us? We don't want to hear about minorities. We're on the same page, Otis. Please call Otis in and tell, and tell Ms. Jackson Otis, to agree with me. Otis, they don't need to tell me that because, Otis, that's what I, I just said. I'm asking them. I'm asking them. No, I hear you, and you should. You should. You should. But what I'm saying to you is I just put the dot on your eye. I said we've got to engage in self-advocacy. There's no disagreement. There's no daylight between us. Thank you so much, Otis. Let me go to Mama D. Mama D, what's on your mind? Well, hallelujah, greetings to you. I wouldn't vote for Mayor Lightfoot again because of her executive order guaranteeing 19 benefits for sanctuary settlers and how she let the South Side burn to the ground while she boarded uh, buildings that had already been looted downtown. I think uh, Dr. Wilson did a good job. I'm glad he speaks Ebonic English because English is our mother tongue language. Okay. All right. So, I mean, what are you hearing? Um, I've got literally 
I'm less than a minute for everybody. Kevin Lamb, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that Lori Lightfoot puts the needs of sanctuary settlers and sanctuary seekers above the needs of the citizens in her city that voted for her. And it's fundamentally wrong to have them above the law and we, her citizens, be beneath it all. She guaranteed 19 benefits the day after she found out that blacks were dying from COVID at a rate of 72%. Whites and Latinos was tied at 17% and Asians at 5%. And she did this executive order. And it was it was it was a terrible slap in the face, and then the way she uh, lied about uh, Antoinette Young too, that didn't do her any good. And I think all this stuff is a little too little, too late. She's a day late and a dollar short. And I'm for Dr. Wilson all the way. He's already proven what he's done, and he didn't need the title of mayor to do it, to help people that are in need. And that's what we need. We need a, a man with a, or somebody with a head for, for, for business and a heart for the people. Mm. Thank you. So just very quickly, uh, thank you, Mama D. Very quickly, I've got about, I've got less than two minutes. Um, about 30 seconds for you, uh, Reverend Wilson. Respond to what you just heard. 30 seconds. Okay, well, then let me go over to you, Dwight. 30 seconds. Your response? I, I said the uh, really does not know what the mayor has done. And that and she has a uh, she has to increase her ability to communicate with people on the ground. That's just one of the issues. She's done a lot of things that people don't know about. I'm not. I was not. In, I was impressed with. Uh, I think uh, Sophia King had had some good points. I think Jamal Green had some good points. The question is, who can govern at this point? And I think Julie mm-hmm. finally tried to tell us what he had been doing since he's been in Congress. I had not heard from him. I think that's the challenge that Chewy has and uh, Sophia King and Brandon Johnson. They're already in office. Tell us what you've done to address any of the issues that were raised last night. Well, you know, what has to happen, you, they have to be on these outlets all the, all the time so people can know what you've done. Because, I mean, otherwise, pe- people don't know. One of the, that's one of the lessons I've learned from Reverend Jackson. Reverend Jackson was, has been ubiquitous. He's been working all the time, but you catch him on the radio at 5 and 6 in the morning, letting you know what he's doing, what needs to be done, et cetera, et cetera. Kevin Lampy, 30 seconds for you. I'm hearing a lot, and I personally agree with it. Anybody but Paul Vallis. Um, I think Paul Vallis' advertising is incredibly divisive. And I, I, I hear a lot of dog whistles. And, I, you know, I hear a lot of this, you know, law and order, law and order, sounding like, uh, you know, Richard Nixon. And I think Paul Vallis is, is, was, has been a, was a terrible administrator at Chicago Public Schools and then left the city to go mismanage other places. And I think, and I'm hearing a lot of this, there are people, and there are people are saying, how do we stop him? How do we make sure that he's not looked up to? You, I want you to speak to that on the other side of the break, because I'm wondering if he does not very quietly, stealthily, have a block of white supporters behind him. Right. I mean, that's because, you know, there's a science to politics. No one does it better than you and Kitty Kurtz. Kevin Lampy. Absolutely. When people pull these commercials together, they have they have looked at the audience and they know what they're trying to say. Let's talk about it. We'll be back. I want to hear from you, too. Dwight McKee and Dr. Bob Starks on the Santita Jackson Show. Call us at 773-763. 
WCPT, and in the next hour, you can win tickets to be at the WCPT mayoral forum. Back in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Let's talk about the mayoral debate. The election is February 28th. Will we have a runoff? Many people believe that we will, but who's going to be in the runoff if we get there? Did you see the debate last night? Have you seen any of the debates? Has anyone sparked the flame in you that makes you want to vote for them? I want you to call me at 773. Call me and this panel at 773-763-9278. Join Dwight McKee, Reverend Jeanette Wilson, Esquire, Kevin Lampy, and Dr. Bob Starks as we break it all down. And if you want to hear the side conversations, go to the Santita Jackson and Friends page and the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. That's the chitter-chatter that everybody loves to hear in between the breaks. We get a whole lot. Kevin Lampy's got a lot to say about Paul Ballas' campaign style in Chicago, which is really interesting. Cannot wait to hear from you. And so let's get to some of these headlines so we can get on to the rest of the show. In Chicago, we're going to have some snow flurries today in a high of 34 degrees. Minneapolis, St. Paul, a high of 28 degrees, partly cloudy. In the NFL, the playoffs are here, everybody. The Jaguars versus Kansas City. The Giants will be playing the Eagles uh, this weekend. And the Cowboys and the 49ers. And going to have the Bengals-Bills game. Uh, of course, that's been delayed by uh, the near tragedy of DeMar Hamlin, who is still struggling with some health issues. It has been reported that he still needs oxygen, but he oxygen, but he's still making a miraculous recovery. His heart stopped twice. Everybody, think about that. In the NBA, the Timberwolves 128, the Raptors 126, the Bulls 126, the Pistons 108, and in the NHL, Chicago 4-1 to over the Flyers, and the Hurricanes 5-2 to over the Wild. Happy Lunar New Year to our Asian brothers and sisters in China, Vietnam, South Korea, and throughout Asia. Our Asian brothers and, sisters, brothers and sisters are celebrating the Year of the Rabbit, where hope and good fortune follow everybody. Happy Lunar New Year. Happy Lunar New Year. Good to you, everybody. So let's get to just a few more of these headlines. Um, we have got a large swath of the Northeast U.S. that is gearing up for several days of heavy snow. Seven million people are in this storm's path. It could be treacherous travel, everybody. Please be careful. President Joe Biden on Thursday made his first public remarks and snatches of classified documents from inside of the vice president who found in his private Washington office and his Wilmington, Delaware home. Quote. He said, I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets, close quote. Still, a special counsel is investigating how the president and his team handled these classified documents. The new 988 National Mental Health Crisis Line has seen a significant rise in call volume since its transition six months ago from the former 1-800-273-TALK number. More than 2 million calls, texts, and chats to 988 have been routed to a response center. Everybody, if you are having suicidal thoughts or if you know someone who is, if someone is just having a mental health crisis, call 988. Help is but a phone 
call away everybody. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. Want to hear your thoughts about the debate and about this mayoral election. Do you think that Lori Lightfoot's going to be able to pull it out and win? Do you think that Brandon uh, Johnson is going to win? I mean, who's the sleeper candidates? What about Willie Wilson? He's got a lock on a big chunk of the black vote. Can you count him out? Hmm. And the union support that Brandon Johnson is getting is significant. Chewy Garcia, so much support. He's been doing a lot of coalition building down through the years. Don't count that out. And the Hispanic vote. There is a lot going on. And what about Paul Ballas? No one's really talking about him, but can't wait to hear Kevin Lampy's interesting analysis of his lock on the white vote, the white ethnic vote here in Chicago. That's a very, very real part of our lives here. Before we get into the rest of the show, I want you to talk about Team Hawkworth and your financial speech. If you're selling your thousands of dollars, you need to call Team Hawkworth, your trusted local winter. We have a new program, everybody. It's Perks at Work. Team Hawkworth is officially offering everyone their Perks at Work benefit through the end of April, which can save you thousands of dollars the next time you buy or sell a home. Here's how it works. When a Team Hawkworth affiliated realtor sells your home, they'll reduce their fee by up to 1%. That's big. When a Team Hawkworth affiliated realtor helps you purchase a home, you will receive up to 1% of their commission as a closing cost credit. Team Hawkworth will credit their loan origination fee and their affiliated attorney will reduce his or her fee. A couple saves close to $9,000 using this perfect work program from Team Hawkworth when they sold their home and purchased a new one. To learn how you can save thousands of dollars and next time you buy or sell a home, give Team Hawkworth a call. Let him David or go to 56david.com, 56david.com. That's 855-5628-43 or 56david.com. They're equal housing lender. We've got a tremendous challenge as we discussed this it is of great, 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 great import. And I want to know what your thoughts are. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Joining Reverend Jeanette Wilson from Rainbow Push is Dwight McKee. And uh, we've got Dr. Bob Starks, isn't political scientist. We cannot wait to get his thoughts. But you know, I, Dr. Stark, I think I'd like to start with Kevin Lampy because he was saying some, he made some very interesting observations about Paul Vallis, who is someone we should not discount because everybody's got their chunk of support, right? <laughs> and he's got this is very correct. Support. And you said, Kevin, you are speaking. Kevin's made some observations that people haven't really been talking about, but I think it's true. Kevin Lampy. Thank you, Cynthia. Hello to my fellow guests here as well. It's nice to be on the panel with you all. It is um, Paul Vallis is going after a very limited audience, but in a multi-candidate race like this, it may take 25, 26 points to, to get in first place or second, which is what the goal is, because there's going to be a runoff with this two people. But Paul Vallis is definitely pushing that law and order. Commercials are incredibly, I feel, very divisive, and he is dog whistles, and I mean, he 
he's he's talking to a very small population that is in this city, the the, the ultra to moderate, very conservatives, who are you know, who are still motivated by racial politics themselves. And I think Paul Vallis would just create more division in this city. You know, I'm almost ready to say, you know, that Paul Vallis's middle name should be Bernie Upton. Doctor Starks, your thought about the debate about the about these candidates, and even about Paul Vallis and that. Well, unfortunately, I did not see the debate last night, but I agree with uh, Lampy that this is that there will be. I I'm convinced that there will be a, a runoff. Secondly, I'm convinced that uh, Paul Vallis is, in fact, trying to appeal to that small group of white voters. He sees that as his base. Uh, just as uh, 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 Chewy sees the Hispanic uh, community as his base. And as everyone knows, we have seven African Americans in the race, and that vote is going to be divided between those seven uh, people. Uh, lastly, I don't think you can count out Willie Wilson. Willie has a big chunk of, uh, of voters that are loyal to him. So uh, those people who are counting him out, I think, are wrong because he will have. I don't. I don't know if he'll be in the runoff, uh, but I think he will have a strong base that will come out and vote for him. Mm, he might not be in the runoff, but it's he. He is a player. Oh, absolutely. I don't know. I think he gets discounted because people say, you know, he doesn't have the polished presentation that that it's like, come on, you all, this is about the vote because we've had a couple of people call in today and they love Willie Wilson. And I don't think that that's something that you need to sneeze at because he speaks to the fundamental needs of a community that is hurting. He Mm -hmm. does do that. That's real. That's real. So I think that I think that we have to we have to just just stop. He's not going what? all that. It sounds ridiculous. It sounds absolutely ridiculous. Again, it really it it is bothering me. I'm sorry. And the other thing, of course, is you you cannot count out uh, Brandon Johnson. Brandon has a strong following, uh, and he has money uh, from the unions. Uh, and that union vote is a significant vote in Chicago. Absolutely. So you cannot count him out. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, also, he is he has a very strong presentation. Yes, he does. He does. You know, and and you know how we, we love our teachers now, particularly when our, our teachers are That's how we got to know him. So, you know, I mean, so what do you, so what do you have to say uh, before I get to Dwight, uh, Reverend Wilson? What about Paul Vallis and this and the dog whistle politics that Kevin Lampy says that he's playing? I think Paul is looking to uh, white ethnics, and when he was uh, head of CPS, he built some relationships with the black business community opened up some opportunities, some don't trust him. And so he's looking at a core of black voters, a solid base of white voters, white ethnic voters, who want to see themselves back in in power in the city. And then when I look at uh, Brandon, what I see with Brandon is not just the money, it is the ability to turn out uh, workers, 
because this election is going to be a won or lost on, on the street. You're going to have to get the people out to the polls. Jamal uh, would be attractive to the young, young, young adults, and uh, I think that his challenge will be to get them to the polls to vote. Now, a lot of people talk, but they, you have to get them to cast a ballot. And and that's going to be the challenge in this election. I'm not sure that any one of them have increased, uh, have thought about increased voter turnout and pushing these uh, people that have not voted to vote in this particular election. And so I think that Brandon has the money to put troops on the street. I don't know uh, what I know. Willie has money that he can he can get campaign workers. You know, it's the. Jamal has the social media uh, for young young people. The question is, will they vote in this election? Um, so each one of them have a different base that they're looking at. I'm not sure that uh, I don't know Sophia King's uh, citywide reach. She's articulate and and all of that. Uh, she was she's a nice alderman. I don't know that she has the the. Uh, the kind of chutzpah that is necessary to push through to get to the runoff and then win in the runoff. I think the mayor uh, has to change her tone if possible, and she has to go. She's got 70, 77 communities. She needs to reach every every one of those communities and say what she's done for them since she's right. been mayor these past four years. Uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, race. Well, Reverend Wilson, I... Many people, particularly in the African-American community, were disappointed with the performance of Vallis when he was head of the public school system. Uh, Do you think that would have an effect? I think it's going to have a tremendous effect. That's why I believe he's he's leaning towards white ethnics because he, he tried to develop relationship with the black base. He doesn't have it. And so right. in, in this city, you either have to have the blacks or the Hispanics. He has neither. Right. Because Chewy's in the race, he's going to get uh, a lock, uh, I think a pretty strong lock on the Latino vote. The black vote is seriously divided among these. Like Absolutely. You said, I agree. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the other question is, the strongest voters are women. Who will the women choose? Will they pick one of the women? Very true. These black women like Willie Wilson. I mean, I, because I've heard, I've heard a lot of that because they feel that he he's from the church, which is right. that's right. the base of the church. Black women, and he um, he's he's done well. He's very basic. And he is socially conservative, which is what, which is where most black, where older black folks are. I mean, that's just it's going to it's going to be very, very, very. It's going to be uh, very interesting, Santita. I mean, I we're going to call him. I really can't. I really can't. But no, Dwight McKee, are you still there? Still here. Yeah. So, so what are your thoughts? Respond to all that you've been hearing from everybody here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I don't think it matters what they say. I think what matters is who pays for what they say. And the way politics work is that that uh, Jesus said that your heart is where your treasure is. And so whoever is paying, whoever has put the money up, 
is going to ultimately be making the decisions for these people. Um, the issue well, is how Val is getting his money. Where is Val is getting his money? From? It's all conservative. It's conservative Republican money. Probably from the money of, of police. Is Willie is only with his own independent money, and it, and I think that the the challenge for the black candidates is is are they going to be willing even to deliver on the promises already made at the expense of those other seventy six groups that Jeanette just named? Is that they have mm-hmm. to go the the the, the uh, mandate for participation in the fire department? has never never been dealt with. The mandate for blacks in the police department has never been True. demanded with. Equal housing uh, has never really been dealt with. And, and, and taking this a lot of this land and giving it to blacks who had been dispersed. The 50 mm-hmm. schools closed and education that has been redistributed to white people have to be uh, redistributed back into the black community. And so when you look at how this thing is going to shake out. It's really, again, a battle between uh, interest groups who is mm-hmm. trying to monopolize on the resources of the city. And I think that because it's seven of us in the race and we're so divided, it really diffuses the black base in such a way is that it's going to give uh, an unconventional candidate an advantage. I think that uh, that Ballas has a fairly solid but small white base. I mm-hmm. think that Brandon has a real solid uh, but, but, but small base. union base. I think that uh, that uh, the Hispanic guy, Chewy, Joey, Chewy, I think that he can really run away with the marbles because he has a little broader Spanish base. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that candidates like like um, so Sister King and uh, and the Young Buck, I Jamal. think I'm hoping that Jamal, I think because they're charismatic and liberal, that they may have a, a wider appeal with the white liberal crowd and the black progressive crowd. And the young progressive crowd, and I think they should be either surprised or the spoiler. Yeah. Well, Santita, I am disappointed that nobody is talking about education. The Chicago public school system is in a mess. No one is talking about that. Why? Because the polling is telling them not to talk about it. Yeah, that's that's the problem. That's the problem. Is is all, many of these campaigns, in particular, I can see the Dallas campaign. He's one hundred percent poll poll driven, and and all the polling is saying that crime is the number one. But that isn't always what people will vote on either. They want them to have a good education for the children. They want the they want the infrastructure of the city maintained, and and so Dallas is such poll driven. And then I want to make a point about about Chewy too. That's interesting. Chewy, the last time he ran for mayor did really well among the progressive uh, Bernie Sanders crowd in Chicago. And and so him and Brandon are going to be battling it out for who controls that vote. Um, so it makes it makes it even more complicated, and that that 
that the you know to a certain extent the the the, the multi the, the the coalition of of, of progressives of, of of you know radical liberals or even like you even you know we even have social democrats uh, democratic socialists in our in our city council that that group of people was very much behind Chewy the last time. Yeah, and you know, I think I don't think we should under undersell his his uh, his coalition building over the past several decades. This is not new. I mean, Chewy came out of the Jackson campaign, as you all know, uh, in '88, and was one of our strongest surrogates and supporters. Um, and he has been, and he has worked across racial lines in the progressive vein for a long time. And I think that just even confining him to the Hispanic community, I think that's a mistake. I mean, I think there are, you have a lot of candidates with sleeper elements in their support, right? I mean, people are discounting Willie Wilson. I mean, I think Brandon Johnson in these polls has snuck up on people. Paul Vallis is laying in the cut. And who, we still, the power of the incumbency means something. Dr. Stark, I've got yes, one minute. But- well, why why is it that no one is talking about the possibility of uh, Lori Lightfoot being reelected? You don't hear anything about that. I mean, it's sort of, you know, kept her supporters are not really very uh, verbal. They're not active. They're not out, you know, promoting her. What what's what's the problem, Reverend Wilson? What's the problem? One minute. I think that. I think that many of the people are watching and listening. You have a group of silent people who are going to go to the polls and vote uh, particular for their choice. I think that uh, the people that are most vocal don't like Lori Lightfoot's style. They don't think okay. that she uh, cares about them because she's so combative and aggressive. However, she is if she ever gets some. If she ever gets the message out about what she has done and what she, what challenges she faced, I think she would get the vote. So that's the question. Her her ads have been fighting the other candidates. I wouldn't waste a dime or a nickel of time on them. I would just say, this is what I've done. I've been the mayor. You know, da 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 da. She's not a. That's what I want to do in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you reelect me, this is where I'm going. She has the bully pulpit. She has the moment, but she better seize it now, because these other people are just—they're just talking. They've never been where she is, so she has that edge. Someone better tell her, because we are five <laughs> weeks away right from this thing. But no, we'll be right back with more of. The Santita Jackson Show, we're going to be, I'm going to give away these tickets in the next 30 minutes. So keep it, keep it locked right here on WCPT. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Everybody, do you want to come to the mayoral forum that we are having WCPT next week? Well, now is your opportunity. Call me at 773-763-9278. 773-763-WCPT. We are giving away a pair of tickets to WCPT's Chicago mayoral forum Thursday, January 26th at Morningstar Auditorium. It's across from Daily Plaza in Chicago. 
All nine candidates have confirmed their participation in this forum. This is your chance to hear directly from the candidates. Lunch will be provided at 11 a.m. Yum. The forum begins at noon. Joan Esposito, yours truly, Santita Jackson, and uh, Patty Vasquez, magnificent women, will be moderating the forum. The forum on WCPT is sponsored by Morning Star, Roofers Local 11, and Oscar is Berrien Rugs. Contests running on WCPT 20 are open to listeners 18 or older and residents of the greater Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana area. One entry per person, one winner per household. Void where prohibited by law. Listeners may only win, one, win or qualify to win once every 30 days. That's it. Complete rules are available on our website, WCPT820.com. Get there by clicking the contest tab when you get to WCPT820.com. All right, everybody, call me at 773-763-9278. I want to know who won. I want to know who's going to be there. And please, I'll ask that you let me know who you are. Let me get a hug. This, uh, boy, there is a whole lot going on here. Um, I don't even know. I don't even know where to begin. Uh, Kevin Lampy, what do you see? Because you said, that, I mean, with polling, because you are you are a political operative. You you've organized campaigns. You've run campaigns. You've been a manager. You and Kitty Kurth are among the top political operatives in the country. Talk to us about why a candidate would run a particular campaign, right? I mean, why would Paul Vallis in a city as diverse as Chicago decide to go straight for the white ethnics, just like Trump did? Because Trump has, has a lot of black acquaintances and friends. I can, I can tell you that right now. But Hillary had the women, for the most part. Bernie got the progressives. He took what was left. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, was, he made that decision, you know? Absolutely. And I'm going to share the, the dirty little secret of what us consultants do when we are, we're party in a campaign. We are focused on motivation, not persuasion. Since we vote in such low numbers in this state, in this country, um, we have to get voters to show up. Now, I've done elections over in Sweden where they're doing 96, 97% turnout. They have a multi-party system there, and persuasion is the key. Motivation is gone because people are going to participate because their culture pushes them to participate. But in America, we have so limited amount of participation in elections, and, we, and we're fighting suppression efforts across the country. That is the problem. So what Ballas' team has calculated is we're going to talk about crime, 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 and we're going to have a white guy on camera talking about crime, 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 and that's going to bring out that group of people that is going to be stuck and be the, you know, the, the one in the Trumpsters and the other of the, the more moderate or even conservative Republicans in the city of Chicago, and that may be enough in a multi-candidate race to get him in position one or two. Mm, would it be enough to push him over the top in a, in a runoff? You know, as, as, as a political operative, I say it's yes. As a citizen of the city of Chicago, I'm like, I'm praying that's not going to happen. Well, how, how do we get people to talk about education, our public school system? Yeah, and I think what the challenge is is that you know, for, for many of us in the activist community, we need to be pushing these candidates all the time. You know, we need to we need to you know go to these events. We need to go see them where they're at, and if we got a moment to say with them, we need to push them, and we need to push their teams, and we need to be vocal about it. We need to say, you know what, 
Let's talk about the whole range of issues that are important to this city. And that is, you know, that is something I'm doing. I'm working on some automatic races in the city, but I'm I'm counting them. Let's talk about, we'll talk about crime, but we got to be talking about education. we got to be talking about economic development. And, and we have to have a well-rounded. And that, that's my strategy, particularly because, you know, as much as I'm in this, you know, it's my business, it's also my passion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you got to talk about economic development, economic investment in these communities. Education is fine, but the schools have been disinvested, those that exist in the community. Uh, the, school, the buildings are not uh, properly uh, upgraded to, to deal with the technology of the day. And so uh, we don't, they're not properly staffed uh, anymore mm-hmm. to address the issues that children face. How do you have schools where 20% of the students are homeless, which means those kids don't go to a particular place to sleep every night. They can't do homework. So when you talk about education, it's about investment in this, this issue of poverty and homelessness in the city. There has to be a change in that. We spend more money incarcerating juveniles than we do educating them. Precisely. We figure out how to give them three, 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 three meals a day, uh, a bed every night that's warm, safe, pretty safe. But we don't deal with homeless children. They are sitting outside in tents and going from shelter to shelter or, or riding the L all night. When they talked about safety on the L, you got L's that are carrying, serving as homeless shelters during the night. So I, I think that that has to be dealt with. People, and so we want, want to know why we have such a low turnout. People are depressed. People are sick and can't get adequate health care. They're closing safety net hospitals or under-resourcing them, understaffing them. I mean, so those are some of the issues that have to be addressed, and it's not just the city of Chicago. It's the county of Cook and the state of Illinois reallocating resources. You had to- the nation of the United States. We got a real problem yeah, here. We, we really do. You had a state representative who's running for mayor, what money is flowing from the state to the city to address these issues? What have you introduced in the legislature to pre- protect the citizens that are sent you to Springfield? Chewy, what are you doing in Congress? Mm-hmm. It's not enough to just say, I, I, I'm, I'm a progressive. No, progressive <laughs> means to me that you are going to make sure that money flows from the federal government to your city. That's why I used to love Gus Savage, because he focused on delivering to the city of Chicago. He held, I never yes, he he held the leases. Remember that? Yes, Remember he that? Yes, he did. He held up the leases until they, until he said, unless you're going to do this for Chicago, I'm not going to vote on any of this. He understood how to play the game. Politics is a game of cutting up the pie to deliver to your constituent. And I think that's what we have to focus on. It's not, I don't care about personalities. I care about what you're doing for the masses of the people. But, you know, I think that, I think the doctor starts to hit upon the sweet spot, um, Dwight McKee and Kevin Lampy. Um, education, that is something we are desperate for. Equal access to equal high-quality education for our children. Every school should be Whitney Young, Northside Prep, Peyton Jones, all of that. Every everyone should be, but it's not. You should you should still. I think you should still have these highly competitive magnet schools. 
Well, then you should have your Kenwood. You should have your South Georgia, your Inglewood. Dunbar. I mean, all, where, what about vocational education? Which Willie Wilson has been talking about, that everybody is not due to be college-bound. College. Yeah, no, they shouldn't people, even be. People need, people need different kinds of education. I Look, my lawyer and my plumber, two different kinds of education. But guess what? If you want a master plumber, they have gone to school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they need education. So, I mean, let's, let's, let's stop this classism, this classist discussion that we're having, you know, about one job being more prestigious than the other. Yeah, well, when your toilet backs up, <laughs> like I said, you're not looking for your doctor. You're looking for Dr. Plummer. So what I want to know is, what about who's going to cut through this, just cut through the buzz and talk about the things that, real, that people really, really need? Because we're still in the pandemic. No, we're still here. Absolutely. The Board of Education has been used as a hush fund for the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. And so the resources have never been about the children. It's always been about the political groups that have access to the money. And so the problem with education is there's no real base of advocacy for the children. So that's why you have children on the subways who are homeless and are hungry and nobody is lobbying for them. But you also have overpaid staff and and overpaid uh, administrators who have been there for 40 years having no accountability. And so until you get a mayor who's willing to go against the grain and and restructure the whole environment, uh, who is more concerned about the children's education, let him get the donation from the plumbers union or from the uh, the janitorial union, then you will continue to have these problems. I think the one who is most in line to deal with education issue is Brandon. Yes, that's his passion. But there are there dominant issue. They're not a, a tough uh, of the other people's. Children in school, in public education, going to become a dominant issue. Well, it, it, they're all connected. I would bet you that ninety percent of the young people who are hijacking and shooting and all that are dropouts or pushouts from the public school system. Please keep in mind there are public schools in this city, particularly high schools, where. The, the attendance is what down by twenty percent, thirty percent, et cetera, and so schools kids don't go to school number one because daily uh got rid of the uh, uh the system that tracks young people in schools, so we don't even know who's in and who's not. This is a serious question, and all three investment. Schools, education, as well as crime. They're all connected. But education is one of the key things to turn the whole thing around. And nobody is talking about that. And Santita, I hope that that is a question that you're going to put on the floor at your debate. 
education is an issue, but... Well, education is an issue, but see, one of the things that we have to fight against in this, in you know, in the media, is are the tired tropes. And I, as we've been talking about the questions that need to be asked at the debate, I said, look, do not talk about violence and no jobs. I said, you closed exactly. all yeah. of these schools on the south and west sides. You yes, closed the door of education to black people primarily. I said, and we are desperate for education. It was illegal for us to be educated for more than 200 years. Illegal. Mm -hmm. And so when you close the door to education on us here, there is, I said, first of all, that meant you fired more than 50 principals, assistant principals, teachers with seniority. You wiped out the middle class. Mm -hmm. Are you serious right now? Well, oh, my gosh. And then you're packing them into these classrooms. I mean, I think there's just a lot of pieces here that we have got to, well, that we have, I mean, because people don't want to look at these problems holistically, panel. Well, they, don't. they don't want to solve the problems. They just want to talk about, for example, when you say education, it has to be a comprehensive education for every child. How do you have Lane Tech with a complete trades program? And no exactly. trades on the south side. You the CBS yeah, used to they teach they used to teach students how to uh, be airplane mechanics, how to even build planes. Now that that system is closed. We had Dunbar. You could get your car fixed at Dunbar with students because they learned auto mechanics. We had on the west side they were teaching uh, carpentry and. Wait a minute, Jeanette. Remember, they had a house that the students built, a fully operational home in the yes. middle of Dunbar. Yes, in the middle of Dunbar, absolutely. In the middle of Dunbar, and so now all of, at, at, at uh, Simeon, it wasn't just known for basketball. They had electrical trade over there. Exactly. Every child should grow up having some basic skills, and you should have a pipeline from the trades to the trades. Mm -hmm. We don't have that. So we're talking about educating children. We have to. Some of that is on us because we have become, yes. go to college, become a doctor, become a lawyer, become a this, become a that, become white collar. Instead of understanding that it takes all the college. We need, we need to be respectful. No, no, I mean, because we're not doing that. Because if we see children, well, if we see our children who are inclined toward vocational genius, we don't encourage that. We don't. Absolutely. Well, when I went to high school, my mother made me take typing. She said, because you will always have a job. I financed part of my college because I was a good typist. I was a statistical typist. These children are not being taught how to survive. They get, you have to have skills that are needed in the workplace. They have to learn robotics. Every school should be teaching that. That's not an option. It is the way of the world. How do you graduate and you don't have any sense of technology? And there's a whole career path for people that understand technology. That's not a college path. It's a career path. And we have to look at career paths for our children. That, to me, is education. Why should I have to go to a for-profit school to learn how to be a chef? You know I like cooking. I don't want to go to college. I am a chef. Let me go to chef school while I'm in high school. I want to go to a culinary institute. Wait a minute. Yes. College gives you a has a certain track of education. Culinary institutes. Right. I mean, the, the thing we, I mean, we, you know, I heard John Johnson, okay. God rest his soul. He said, "You get the education uh -huh. that you need," and we're not doing that. You know, yeah. and this is and where we have to you demand know, that. We deny, 
We were denied all the entry into all of these different tracks. It's like we say everybody can sing. Every Negro can sing. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Everyone can juggle basketball. That's not true. That's not true. People have different gifts, and we need to help our children and our adults actualize whatever gifts they have because they're all necessary. <sighs> well, we're going to start. You have to understand the track. But you have to understand the track is that because it's really, really not our fault as much as it is that those white unionists who wanted to dominate the unions locked yeah. in the fact that you have to be part of a union in order yeah. to get a job. And then they took the trades out of the public schools and you and you be able to learn the trades. You have to go to one of the schools in the suburbs so that right. they could systematically lock the blacks out of the unions. And even when they get their union card, the unions have it set up in such a way as they then make the decision on who then gets those union jobs. Precisely. So this racism. Absolutely. And, and, and you know what? And, and that should be, part, that should be a question that is asked why at these debates. But Dwight, it's right. But that's why these are the questions that need to be asked and answered. And that's why if Lori Lightfoot is going to run, which is what she's doing, she's got to say, well, let me tell y'all what I walked into. I didn't close these 50 odd schools. He did that. And I had to deal with that. And then, oh, a year in, we shut the whole world down. So I'm trying to figure out how to get y'all masks. And I mean, it's just... Mm -hmm. Let's be yeah. honest about the problems that, that she faced, and quite frankly, the, the, the problems that who, if she doesn't get back in office, whoever gets in there is going to face these problems because the city doesn't have enough money. I mean, it's just, it's just it's a real thing, y'all. It is. It is. It is. It is. I'm going to go around because I want to get closing thoughts from everybody because we've got about five minutes left here. But boy, oh, boy, have you all been a great panel. Look at God. Thank you. Ooh. <laughs> Let me get a minute and a half from you. You know, you know, because I'm pulling these things together, and I said, "Hmm, let me call." Oh, because I was reaching out to well, everybody. Reverend Jeanette Wilson, you're 90 seconds. Well, I, th- I think that we should all be voting in this election because it is going to have a tremendous impact on not only our present but the the present and future of our children. The next mayor will determine the quality of a comprehensive education from career, from edu- from school to career. We have to look at how do we rebuild these neighborhoods that have been blighted for decades? How do we reinvest in communities where African Americans live and work? How do we expand opportunities for our people? That's what the mayor must do. And so as we look at these debates, I would challenge everyone, get your family, get your friends, get your neighbors to turn out and vote February 28th. This is one of the most important elections in the history of the city of Chicago. It's always important, y'all. Get out and vote. Uh, Kevin Lampy. Yeah, I'm going to build on that because, um, you know, whenever I get into a political argument with anybody, the first thing I ask them, I can get a word in edgewise to say, are you registered to vote and did you vote? And if they're not registered and they didn't vote, I says, you have no right to be in this argument. And you have to participate. And, you know, that, that voter registration card is your, is, your, is your license to be able to change the world. 
And it is so, so important that we do this because if people participate, then a Paul Vallis candidacy or these these niche candidacies that us hurt the country, just like Trump did to the Republican Party, a limited number of Republicans vote for him, but it was enough to get him through the primary. These things happen, and we know bad people get in when good people don't show up and vote. Hmm. Dr. Stark. Yeah, I, I would agree with everything that's been said. The candidate that will uh, motivate people to get out to vote is a candidate who will hook all these things together. Uh, getting rid of crime, good education, investment in communities. Those three things have to be put on up front and talked about. And then lastly, we definitely have to find a way to get young people to the polls. Young people don't vote. And we have to make sure that young people come out and and vote. Uh, I don't know which candidate has any connection to young people, but if you're going to win, you need to to concentrate on how to get uh, young people to the polls. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Dwight McKee, the last ninety seconds. Well, I think that 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 once the once you vote, then what happens is the issue is that how do a community that is dealt with a hundred years of disinvestment, uh, mm-hmm. who has to pay the price of that restructuring the economy in such a way as now it's 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 at least fairer. Won't be equitable because you're dealing with a hundred year uh, surplus where everything has gone to the other communities. But now they have to be able to make a sacrifice just to bring the people who have been disenfranchised up to speed. And the question is, who is willing to do that? Who is willing to have that fight if they do win? Now, some people, if they win, don't have to have that fight. Because they will be representing those people who have benefited for the last hundred years for that inequality. And so the reason it's so important to vote is because we really need, as the, the those who have been violated and oppressed, we really need to put our own advocate in who's willing to have that fight in our behalf. Who that could be, I'm not sure yet. My my hopes would be for a guy like Willie Wilson, who's not beholding to the power structure or to the machine, uh, would have the boldness to do that and the means to do that. But who else is in that that could do that? I think the young guy, uh, Jamal, has the wherewithal to really go into that fight because he has a young base, a young constituency. Who is not as invested in the uh, the structure as the rest of the bases, and so I think he'd have the latitude for that. So that's what I'm looking for in a man: is somebody who will be bold enough to really redistribute the wealth and have to fight the good fight because there's going to be a fight. We need more black policemen, more black firemen, more Hispanic policemen, more Hispanic firemen. Uh, we need that these other ethnic groups who have taken everything and dominated everything has to be at least accountable to the fact that they have to share the wealth. The unions have to share the wealth. The uh, have to share. No, no. Wait a minute. Very quickly, because I've got to get out of here. Paul, did anyone win the contest? Okay, everybody. 
call in so that you can get tickets to the January 26th debate. All right, all right, all right. Everybody, you know what? I want I want someone who is going to be fair. How about that? And if you're going to be fair, you're going to take in, you're going to take into account what black people have been through, what Hispanic people have been through, what disenfranchised people have been through. I don't want someone who looks like me. I want someone who has processed their experience so they can understand me and understand life from the bottom up and govern. Also, you've got to have someone who can work go. with city council. Hold on. I'll wait, wait. i got to go. But hold on. We can talk a little bit when we get off the <laughs> But I love y'all, everybody. See you on Monday. See you on Sunday on Keep Up Alive.